now that we're in a time of peace and we don't need war anymore and war is bad and all that sort of stuff, we can do away with the whole warrior culture, the warrior ideology. And what do we become? We become fat slobs who don't believe in reputation or morality or honor or any of that sort of stuff. And then the world decays and turns into shit. Hello there, how are you all? You having a good week? I've got our boy Danny sat here next to me. He's flown over from Australia. We're working on the next run of shows. For the next two weeks, we're going to be recording here in sunny Bedford. Danny's got a whole new studio set up done. So you'll see that on YouTube. You'll see some differences coming up soon. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got Alex Svetsky back on the show. Now, it's been a while since Alex has been on the show, but he DM'd me recently, told me he's turning his back on the toxic Bitcoin culture. I wanted to come on the show and talk about this. And he's also been working on another book called The Bushido of Bitcoin. Basically, it's a moral code for Bitcoiners. So when he came into London, we sat down, we booked a studio, we got into it, we tackled this subject and why he feels there's need for Bitcoiners to be better than those that came before them. Now, in this show, Alex does mention a pre-sale, which will no longer be happening. And also, we talk about me not drinking. I'm clearly back drinking. I've lost my bet on Michael Malice. I managed 44 days. Oh, well, I'll have to get Michael and me when we're back out in Austin. Anyway, keep an eye out for his book. It's dropping mid-2023. And if you've got any questions about this, please do get in touch. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. We're also two weeks now, two weeks down from our live show in Bedford. We've got James Lavish, Lawrence Lepard, and Jeff Booth joining Ben Ark for a live Bitcoin recording, a live WBD in Bedford. If you want to get tickets for that, head over to whatbitcoindid.com and click on WBD Live. And you're looking, uh, you're looking trim, man. Uh, I don't know the weight. D- December, I was trying to lose some weight because I got fat while I was in Europe, eating like a fat shit. Yeah, I need to lose some weight. I stopped drinking. You stopped drinking? Yeah, I haven't drunk in... What's the date today? 8th. I haven't drunk in 39 days. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Do you know what you got to do? You got to get to the hour. Oh, sorry, to the hour, to, to the year. And then your brain starts like, you start to identify as a non-drinker. That That's the switch that you need. Do you, are you a non-drinker? Do you never drink? Nothing. Ah, it's interesting. So uh, I wasn't doing dry January. I always said like, I'm going to do more than January and see how far I go. And I think I'm going to do the whole year. But, uh, and the reason I didn't say I was doing dry January is because like, whenever you go anywhere, people are like, you... Do you want to drink? I don't want to say I'm doing dry January. Mm-hmm. No, I just say I don't drink. Yeah. They're like, what? Yes, yeah, so I don't drink anymore. Yeah. I've stopped drinking. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to do the year. I, I think I'll come back, but maybe not. Maybe. Seriously, uh, that, that's what I thought. So I, I did a crazy version of like stopping myself when I was young. I used to drink a lot. So I quit when I was 18 by actively giving myself alcohol poisoning. I drank <laughs> everything in my fucking uncle's cupboard, <laughs> like port, wine, tequila, fucking hooser, like the whole lot. I was sick for three days. Then I couldn't smell the shit for ages. Like it just made me sick. And then after about a year of like not being able to smell it, the, the kind of the the reaction went down a little. But my brain was like, I'm just not interested in drinking. Then after two years, like I'm I'm not a drinker. And then I'm not drinking it. You've never drunk again. Wow. That's see, that's why you're trim and shape. Sixteen years. That's why I'm a fat sloth. <laughs> I drink like a fucking idiot. For you, alcohol's the worst, man. Shit fucking ages you, man. I know, but I like it. I t- well, you say you've... I, I talked about this podcast recently. So my dad's staying with me at the moment. I don't know if you know, my mum died a few years ago. So he, he gets stuck in Ireland on his own. And after, he doesn't fly as well, uh, which is also funny because he was an aircraft engineer for 35 years. Yeah. And he doesn't fly? Doesn't fly, hates it. He was on a really bad flight once. But anyway, so I hadn't seen him in ages. <laughs> my dad come over and stay for Christmas. And when he got here, I was like... Uh, he wanted to see the. You know, I got a football team. 
Yeah, yeah, he came to see him play, loved it, and I made him the kit man. And I was like, why don't you stay until the end of the season? So he's been staying with me for ages. Anyway, we went out with uh, uh, him and his mate, uh, Chris, sorry if you listen to this, but basically, uh, my dad is not a big drinker. He didn't drink for three years after mum died. I've never seen him drunk. He just doesn't care for it. And he's 74 and he's looking great. He looks really good. And I was like, trigger. The, the shit the shit ages you. So f- for me, like I, I've been through my own fair share of stress and like, you know, made every mistake in the book, whether in business or all sorts of stuff. And and I've like really pushed myself. And if I don't think, if it wasn't for the non-drinking, uh, I think I'd look probably 10 years older. <laughs> I'm actually 26. Yeah, that's why I look like shit. <laughs> I've drunk a lot, man. I've done a lot of drugs as well. Yeah, no, I I skipped both actually. Uh, the first time I had uh, weed was when I turned thirty, and my my sister spiked my birthday cookies. I don't like weed. I think weed's for junkies. It, it is. It it sucks. It's the worst drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it just makes you dumb, it makes you slow. I, I mean, hungry. there is hunger as well. Yeah, it makes you fat. The, I would argue that there is like a. For me, the the times that I have done it, which has been quite rare, like it's like a sensory enhancement. So, like I hear things in parallel. So, like I could be listening to a song and I could just hear every single thing that I just genuinely wouldn't hear. Uh, taste is obviously mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, touch, so like sex on weed or whatever is like. You, you smoke weed to fuck, basically. That that was my whole thing in twenty 2020, twenty in twenty twenty one when I was locked down. That was just all I did. Well, smoked weed and fucked. Well, I, I've never smoked weed. I've never smoked it. I used to do like, the gut. I only do edibles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It. Um, but, you know, now that, uh, you know, I'm a little bit older and kind of gotten past that, I, I just, I don't like this shit because every single time I've ever done it, the next, like, I have a hangover for two or three days after weed. Like, I, I don't know, I guess I'm a lightweight or it has some sort of weird effect. So I just avoid the shit altogether. So I've never touched any other drug. That's it. Just done that. And I've done mushrooms a couple of times, which was an interesting experience like in a very good way but i also have my reservations about doing any of that stuff because i think when you open up the apertures like of the mind or the you know the sensory apertures and stuff like that i think there's a hidden cost involved in that and i don't think we understand what that cost is um and i think we we pay for it in weird ways like i i have a feeling things like uh you know Ideas even like communism and like stuff like that come from the mushroom realm. It, okay, that's well, that's a huge leap. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a huge leap because here's my thing. It's sort of that sort of opens you up to like the spirit realm, and I think in the spirit realm, things like uh, property rights and stuff like that just don't exist. They're, they're irrelevant over there. So you come back to sort of here with these ideas of like, oh, we're all one, kumbaya, we're all in this together. There's things, property rights, like let's just all be one, and you, you kind of see these hippies. I know a lot of people who've been doing psychedelics for, for many years and they sort of the membrane between the physical material world where things like property rights and stuff like that exist and the spiritual realm where that sort of stuff is irrelevant, um, that membrane sort of dissolves and then they, you know, I don't know, they're, they're half here, half there and just become like sort of fucking wishy-washy relativistic and they turn into kind of psychos. Mm, I don't buy it. I'll tell you why I don't buy it. But I do see a connection, uh, I do see a correlation between the personality types of people who are more socialist uh, and, you know, the hippie types. Yeah, no, I totally get that. But I think that might come down to a little bit more like uh, Jonathan Hyde wrote about in The Righteous Mind, that kind of mindset of the type of person they are. 
So and, already uh, high in trade openness, you mean? Like, yeah. So they're predisposed. Yeah, they're probably more. Yeah, they're more of that type of person who mm -hmm. kind of come the from the care side. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that stuff from the kind of left, which has now become called the woke left, mm -hmm. uh, comes from a place of care, mm -hmm. um, misguided care, and misguided about sometimes the ex externalities that come from that. But I think it more comes from that. Uh, and I think perhaps those people are then more predisposed to being the type of people who maybe would try psychedelics. I don't buy it like that some some dude does psychedelics, becomes a hippie, and then stops giving a shit about a property rights because they've been in that. Like I don't think they'd rationalize that. I think you could post-rationalize that though. I, I maybe they feed into each other. That's the thing about this stuff. It's like you know maybe you're already slightly predisposed in that direction, and then it kind of like takes you a little bit further, and then it's kind of like a. I mean, all all these things are virtuous loops anyway. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and that, that's how we end up so divided as well, because, you know, if you're sort of more conservatively minded or, you know, your constitution is made up that way and you sort of inch by inch move in that direction, then, you know, someone else inch by inch moves in the other direction, then all of a sudden, you know, you completely see the world differently and there's no sort of bridge to communication. And Well, that's interesting you should say that because you sent me a message a couple of months ago, and you were like, I want to make a show. I was like, cool. And you were saying to me, I'm kind of turning my back on being a toxic asshole. I can't remember your exact words. I can get the tweet out. <laughs> You're right, let's get it. Can I, can I embarrass you and read it? All right. Because this is why I wanted to talk to you most of all. Like, I know you're writing this book, but this, is, this was kind of interesting because... Hold on. Right. I don't remember what I wrote. Here we go. Here we go. He go, hey, Pete. Hope you're well, buddy. I'm turning a huge new leaf for 2023, moving on from the stupidity, noise, and so-called toxicity, and leaning more into education. And like then you talked about the other stuff. But I thought that was super interesting because you cannot do the job I do without experiencing some form of toxicity. And if I, you know, my YouTube's brilliant, right? So one week a while ago, I had uh, Anita Posh, mm -hmm. who is very clearly more of a left-wing Bitcoiner, and that Laura Luma, who, Bitcoin or not, she's clearly from the right. And then my YouTube is people who are ideologically opposed to both of those coming in and saying, why are you having this person? And neither group able to recognize that I'm actually trying to talk to everyone and learn. So I find myself pushed to the middle. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, you butt up against people who are kind of, you can get toxic left, toxic right, Toxic, libert toxic libertarian, toxic all kinds of different people who struggle with accepting there's other people in the world have different views or different worldviews than them. So when you said to me, I'm kind of getting away from the stupidity of that, I was like, well, I want to talk about that. Well, okay. So you notice I said so-called toxicity. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I am still very clearly in the camp of, uh, you know, my thinking around all of this stuff hasn't changed. I, I still think whether it's masks or experimentation or, you know, government and all this sort of stuff, I I still, you know, would be labeled toxic to all of that sort of stuff. What I'm just doing, this is more like a personal decision, is that I'm just getting off all the screeching on Twitter. Like in over over the last couple of years, out of frustration with the dumbness of the world, like I just, I mean, I, I started on Twitter as like writing really good articles. And it was funny. I went back and I read some of my early Bitcoin articles mm -hmm. and there was no, you know, fucks and shits and 
you know, stab this person or, or, I mean, obviously I don't write that stuff, but you know, like it, it wasn't angry. Like I could just see the tonality was very different. I was like genuinely out there just telling people about why Bitcoin matters, for example, you know, or, you know, how, uh, you know, we could look at Bitcoin through an anthropological lens and I, I wasn't getting political. And then just over 2020 we got radicalized and all I was doing was talking about how dumb the world is, how stupid everyone is, the sheep, all this and that. And it's not that, I mean, I probably 95% of the things I pointed out were accurate in the end. Um, I mean, we did a, we did a podcast, remember? We did a three hour podcast on, on that stuff, right? Remotely. Yes. During COVID. Yeah. 2020. Yeah. It was actually in March, right? But we were talking about, and it was just as the lockdown started. And I mean, you remember my position. So I've always been consistent on that. I haven't been, by the way, my position's evolved. Yes. Yeah, so your your position's evolved, and I'm and I'm happy that it has because I think it's evolved in a into a better direction. Mm. Um, whereas my positions stayed the same the entire time. I've hated all of it, lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. But the price that I've had to pay for that stuff, um, you know, I've had to move away from my business. I've had you know I've been cancelled on every single platform. I've Have you banked? Yeah, man. Like at some point, like I mean, I think I'm on my third Twitter account. Okay, let's so, let's work through that. So, hold on, you were moved away from your business. What do you mean? That that's a longer story. That's a yeah, different one. Can you tell it? No. Okay. Yeah. Tell us, tell us when the mics are off. Yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, you were kicked off Twitter for saying what? What are you now, Ghost of Svetsky or Ghost of the Ghost of Svetsky? Yeah, I, I, I'm Svetsky rights now. Okay. So you know, trying to do that, the whole moving into just back into content stuff, but uh. Yeah, I, I was Ghost of Svetsky at some point. I think that one got banned as well for whatever. I don't know, maybe I was reposting some vaccine stuff. Who knows? Something, right? So it's just the the amount of effort, right? Like the amount of headache, the amount of effort, and having to sort of hold that the entire time, it just sucks. And I don't know, like um, the, the the return on the energy and effort invested is just not there. So for me, I'm you know, looking to remove that and cleanse that. And plus it just makes you an unnecessary target. You know, I, I was reading somewhere, it says, you know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this, but it was something along the lines of a high value man just sort of keeps his opinion to himself. And, you know, these, these are all my opinions at the end of the day. I believe they're consistent. I believe they make sense. I believe I've figured them out from first principles. I believe that, you know, the principles around what I'm discussing, you know, are generally consistent across, you know, you, you could probably find similar principles in, you know, people who talk about how to succeed in business or, you know, how to succeed in relationships or all this sort of stuff. Like what what I found through life is that most principles are actually quite similar, right? Mm-hmm. And th- that's essentially what this book is about. Like we're going to talk about later is like the, the principles of how to live a virtuous moral life. They're pretty damn similar across the world, right? It doesn't matter. Um, why the hell was I talking about that? So anyway, I, I can't... You Coming can't, away from toxicity. Yeah, exactly. So you so you find these principles and then, you know, you can deliver them in a real edgy way, which I have been, um, but I've just found that it's just, I don't know, man, it's not worth it. So. Sometimes Twitter sucks you in. And that's the... Yeah, totally. That's another. It's gamed in a way and it's designed in a way to suck you in. To beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. Been there, done it. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing it yesterday with Ben Shapiro. Like, I get... You get sucked in... And then, like, at the end of it, like, do I feel good about this? Yeah, man. It's like... What the fuck for? 
It's like eating a whole pack of Oreos, right? At the time you're enjoying it, and then after it's like, I feel like shit. When yeah. the fuck do I eat that pack? Of yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it so many times. Like I did the Richard Hart thing in 2022, and then you know, like that was a waste. Who's that? Of time. Yeah, Bit Boy as well. Like that was a waste of time. Like all that sort of crap was just a waste of fucking time. It is a distraction. The algorithm is designed to suck you in, man. Get you to do that shit, but it distracts you from what you could be doing. So yeah. So so. I, I will I will tie that off though with you know f- I think there is a place for those who want to expend the energy on doing that mm-hmm. like and what what they essentially do is they they, they remind us of uh, I guess the the really hardcore version of the truth right and or the hardcore version of a position of a position yeah, yeah. not the truth okay, yeah truth is subjective. That, I wouldn't say truth is subjective. I think that, uh, some truth is subjective. The, the, two like, plus two plus equals four isn't subjective, but like versions of the world can be subjective. Versions of the world, yeah. So they're not truths, then they're like you know, I guess opinions. Yes, since yeah, yeah. But um, it does mean you can focus and be in a better mental state yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it also means that you can actually, you're not going to find people that you're going to agree with on everything anyway. Yeah. And, like, if you have to agree with everything, with everyone on everything, you're going to end up a lone wolf. And that's that's also another thing, you know, in this book. So one of the things... But what a boring world if we were all the same and all agreed. Exactly. And and, gross. And, and that's, I mean, that's communism right there, right? It's yeah. like, equalize everyone. We're all the same. You know, we're all proletariats. We're all, you know, just another cog in the um in the machine. And we kind of, like, you know, act, it's funny how individualism sort of, you know, wrecks itself in the process because it sort of, I don't know, it, you, you have these people who argue that this is the only right way to be as an individual and everybody else should also be like this. Um, and then essentially that kind of creates this uh, tendency towards everyone is the same and you kind of end up back at this one big homogenous blob of sameness. Well, the, when we, um, I made a show with Danny recently with the, uh, Mark Moss and Danny did a lot of the prep mm-hmm. for this. And one of the things Danny kept coming back to me with the notes he was saying, he said, there are ironically, there are parallels between the behavior sometimes of some Bitcoiners and communists. One hundred percent. You you know one that drives me fucking crazy is the we are all Satoshi. We are all Satoshi. It's like, no, you're not Satoshi, shut the no. fuck up. You are someone else. Like please, like the wasn't that a meme though about CSW? I mean, it was a meme, but it's kind of like the. I mean, even the. Oh man, I'm gonna get some fucking backlash over this, but like, I hate the word pleb. Yeah, it sounds like a twelve-year-old in a playground. Hey, hey, I'm a peasant, and I'm proud of being a peasant. No, just like literally, Bitcoiners in the next coming decades are going to be the socio-economic elite of the world. Maybe. I mean, that's that's my presumption, yeah. and I think that. Bitcoin just wins through its sheer force of economic gravity at the end of the day. And then if you're smart enough to hold your Bitcoin over that period of time, you are actually not going to be a fucking pleb, you idiot. You're going to be... Maybe it is, though, because a lot of people in that kind of self-identifying group of plebs, I think that's a that's a, like a minority group. I don't... I, I've clashed against them. A lot of them, I think, are morons. I just think a lot of them don't really have much Bitcoin. Um, I think a lot of it's virtuous behavior. And they might not be the elites. They might be the the pleb. They might be the peasants of Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, maybe of Bitcoin, but still, even if they've worked up to have you know half a Bitcoin, they'll probably have a hell of a lot more than a person who starts buying Bitcoin, say in twenty thirty, right? So, so th- there is going to still be a gap. So, my my whole point is, 
you need to start uh, acting and behaving first of all like an adult but then secondly like an adult with some level of nobility and nobility is kind of uh, a an amalgamation of higher virtues you know so, sort of degrading yourself and calling yourself like a plebeian like a peasant or something like that I, I just find stupid and um, I guess maybe I've been reading too much Nietzsche lately but like the, the, I have this disdain for like uh, glorifying the averageization of man you know like for me that there's just being a pleb is pathetic like be something great aspire to greatness aspire to difference aspire to to do something useful in the world yeah uh i don't disagree i i don't like the word more because if i'm trying to introduce my friends to the world of bitcoin and teach them about this is the best form of money and yeah, you know, in a bitcoin world yeah we're rewarded for prudence and you know, bitcoin is a serious financial asset come and join the pleb mm-hmm. come and join the pleb Telegram group is like, it just sounds fucking childish. It is childish. I think also, I will say, I think you and I probably dislike it for slightly different reasons as well, though. Well, just m- most of my interactions with the people in there haven't been good. Correct. Yeah, uh, that's why. And mine have been, but I'm, so my call to them is to actually rise the fuck up and stop calling yourself a plip. Yeah, but, but you probably, you probably align with them on a lot of issues. Uh, my main issue is it's this coercive pressure to come be like us mm-hmm, otherwise mm-hmm. Well, we're going to communistic thing you. Yeah. exactly that's the communistic thing yeah yeah like don't have this belief you know like this whole uh we've talked about this a lot you know i'm somebody I'm struggling with it at the moment but somebody who has been a historic believer in democracy i think is the best way to organize large groups of humans right struggling with it at the moment for obvious reasons because uh, the country i live in is a fucking dump and it's going to shit but like historically, I think democracy's done a lot of good for the world as well, uh, and it's that whole you're a status cuck thing from people who are living in some of the best countries in the world, but not willing to have the discussion. No, it's you're a status cuck. Fuck that guy. Cancel that guy. And it's just like, well, hold on a second. That's a coercive pressure you put on me. Look, Alex, I can get away with it. And like, I it's hard. I'm like, I, I, I can get away with it and carry on doing what I'm doing because I've built up a big enough platform and audience to get away with it. But if there are new people coming and creating podcasts or content, they're going to feel that coercive pressure to don't be like Pete, be like us. And that's a, that's, that can really influence who they become, who they are, and the content they create. You want people to express it. Get, be wrong. I'm be, I've been wrong on so much shit, but I have the ability to be wrong and apologize. These people don't have the ability to be wrong and apologize. What, why not? Because they don't want to get kicked out of the group, out of the tribe. They don't want the tribe to turn on them. I mean, that that has pros and cons, though. Is that um, if the if the position is valid, then um, that sort of pressure from the tribe, and you know, I talk about tribalism in this book, is that um, the you know tr- tribes work through uh, the process of shame, not guilt, um, and how do, how do I explain this? So, shame is a powerful tool because it creates a um a situation where the an individual within a tribe doesn't want to be sort of you know left out of the tribe right so then they uh look to adapt and conform their behavior now that has obvious dangers is if the position of the tribe is invalid then everyone else starts to be behave in a in a in a format that's invalid and then the thing is that tribe generally doesn't last very long the tribe sort of falls over and dissolves or disappears, right? 
Now, you know, the, the Bitcoin, even the pleb tribe, um, while I would argue that it needs to evolve um, and sort of at least drop the word pleb, you know, if they want to be toxic, they can actually, I, I have no problem with that. I actually have less of a problem with the toxicity than the pleb thing. I'm just stopping my own action of toxicity because it's just the fucking energy drag. Like someone else can do that. But um, that that sort of tribe actually has its place because at some point in time, people will need to figure out why. And I mean, a lot of them, it's, you know, whatever people say, they've actually been right about whether it's Craig Wright or whether it's shit coins, whether it's Vitalik, whether it's all of that sort of stuff, they've generally been on the right side or their opinion has generally been valid um, and it's been vindicated. The delivery is probably not nice um, and probably scares people and probably freaks people the fuck out. Or just think, it just like my friend Tom, I, I tell you what, Tom, I've known Tom for 37 years now. He's one of my best friends, right? Love the guy. And he lives in, lives in me in Bedford. We talk all the time. He's like, those Bitcoiners are a bunch of fucking morons. He's like, I like you, Pete, but they're fucking—they're all fucking idiots. He's got—he's got no interest in Bitcoin because all he sees his entry point is, he sees it as a bunch of crazy idiots yelling at each other, and he's like, I just fucking—I don't care about that shit. And so, like, he's got a barrier up because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and you—you—you you, you hear it, you—you you know, Rogan is often talking about Bitcoin or crypto net these days. It keeps coming up. It was coming up in the show I was listening today with Sagar and. Uh, is it Kristen Bell? I can't remember now. Kristen Bell. But anyway, um, they're talking about it in there. It's always coming up. But like, it's very rarely being talked about seriously. Well, yeah. But, but I mean, I guess that's just the stage we're in. So, like, once again, you know, the that 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 tribe needs to exist. So, like, if you think about it, like, the, you, you could argue that that tribe is kind of like the Spartans, right? And the Spartans need to exist because... They are not Spartans. Dude. I'm trying to use an analogy. I'm trying to find an analogy. Okay, maybe the Thebans. I don't fucking know. But, you know, s- some form of, uh, you know, extreme version of tribe that, um, that you know, maybe takes themselves a little bit too seriously uh, and, you know, is, is, has valid and consistent series of points, but probably poor delivery and as we all do, has a bunch to improve on. What, what is it that we're getting from that tribe that's effective? What, what change is that making? I mean, it, it helped me a lot, man. When I was in, you know, during 2018, uh, sorry, during uh, 2016, 2017, like I climbed Mount Stupid. I did my fucking altcoining thing and realized how fucking ridiculous it was. And then on the way down, it was actually that group. I, I entered the, the Toxic Pleb group in, um, in Telegram. And that really helped me fucking sharpen my position on Bitcoin, like, big time. But how many people are we talking about? We're talking about, like, a couple of thousand people here? I mean, the group was, like, 200, 300 people at that time. Okay. So so it's just, it's 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 a rounding error. It's not making any difference to the world of Bitcoin. I mean, if, if you look at the, the, the sharpening of my position on Bitcoin that I had, then I affect more people. And then, you know, my stuff might, you know, hit, like, a Mark Moss or a U or a... Jack Dorsey or Michael Saylor or something, and then that has a bigger effect. So, so these 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 effects, you know, are concentric. Like, you know, what, one of my actual favorite uh, Bitcoiners in that entire space is Rory Highside. I don't know if you've ever I don't know Rory. Him. So, so Rory is a fucking legend, and you know, he and I bumped into each other back in the day in Australia, and we were like two of the only Bitcoiners at that time. Like, there was a small group, you know, there was like sort of Stefan Levera and Haas McCook and like 
uh, John Pratt, but there was like, I don't know, 10 like hardcore Bitcoin maximalists um, in Australia. Like uh, we didn't know any others. And, you know, me and Rory, were, were, he actually brought me into that group and, you know, he, he really helped sharpen that. And the thing is, I, I think a lot of the toxicity comes from, you know, having to repeat yourself a million fucking times to, you know, try and like, you know, initially help people from, you know, like getting scammed or, you know, doing stupid things or, you know, promoting shit coins or affinity scamming people and everything like that. So it just builds on itself, man. It's it's, it's yeah. a hard thing to do. It's almost like they're wasting their time because people don't listen. They make the mistake and then they learn. They learn, but at, at least along that learning path, there is this cohort of people. There is this tribe yeah. that they can go and, you know, maybe even just do a rite of passage through. Maybe, maybe that, that, component of the tribe is a rite of passage. Hmm. Maybe. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm not selling a Bitcoin right now. Are you? I hope you're not. Now, I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I've also set up a DCA with twice monthly Bitcoin buys, and I've been stacking sats all through this bear market. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep all my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi 2.0 makes Bitcoin privacy effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join like in Wasabi 1, this is all done automatically. So all you need to do is receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can send privately. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement, something, you know, I'm always moaning on about. Now, you also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't need to leak your IP address, and there is no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there is no change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I'm taking a lot more seriously, and Wasabi 2 makes this so much easier. If you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Next up, we have Fortress. Now, 4% of all Bitcoin transactions on an MOM basis go through Fortress, which equates to $7.7 billion since their inception in 2017, of which $3.6 billion happened last year, 2022, last year alone. Now, Bitcoin is more than just a holding asset. We see large organizations already using it in their day-to-day -day operations. And if you want to do this, you do not need to overhaul your system. You simply need to integrate Fortress to handle all your Bitcoin treasury operations. If you want to find out more about this, please head over to Fortress.com, which is F-O-R-T-R-I-S.com. All right. Well, listen, <laughs> is the book written? 95%. Uh, I'm, I'm going through editing now. Just explain to people what the book is about and why you wanted to talk to me about it. Okay. So... Uh, so I've been doing a lot of thinking on a question of not whether Bitcoin's going to win, how it's going to win, or how it's going to win, or any of that sort of. You thing. assume it is going to. Yeah, I make the assumption that okay, if if we're all right about this Bitcoin thing and it's the most important economic thing to happen um, 
by its very nature, it's also going to be a huge social event, right? Like it'll 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 transform the way society is structured. Um, well then, uh, do, do, are we just going to drive around in Lambos and like hopefully Louis Vuitton jumpsuits? Yeah, maybe the Lambos are okay, but the Louis Vuitton jumpsuits are a little bit strange. Um, but are we going to become just like you know rich losers? Um, why did why why would that make someone a loser? I, I think, you know, the kind of people who generally, you know, go out and just try to make money for that sake are generally like uh, trying to fill a gap in themselves. So, you know, looking through the lens of like, for example, Tony Robbins' six needs structure, like they're trying to feed significance um, and they're out of kilter on all sorts of other things. So they think by buying a Lambo, they're going to fill a hole in themselves. Okay. Now there's a very big difference of um what if you just like driving fast? If you like to car. Well, yeah, that that's different, you know, but I think most of them don't. Like most of the I know a bunch of people from particularly back in Australia who can't drive for shit. They they have zero like understanding of what a car is, how the fucking engine works, but they're flashing it around because they think it's going to get their dick wet. Mm. Like and and that's probably the majority of them. Yeah. There's a difference between an appreciation of the machine. Yeah, I, I think the point I'm trying to get... To, well, there's two points. Like, firstly, are you are you anti-status and status symbols? No, not at all. I think people people can do it. I think there is a... Is there a use for status symbols for, for projecting status? Um, I think it depends what level of status you're at. So... Jack Dorsey, for example, doesn't need to drive around in a Lambo um, to have status. Um, whereas maybe an up-and-coming... Fake it till you make it. Kind of, yeah, 20-year-old entrepreneur or something like that might need to do that. Um, and, and I was like that in my 20s. You know, I was trying to... More with motorbikes, you know, like... Um, actually, yeah, I was never really like that with cars. Like, there was multiple times I could have, um, you know, bought an expensive car but I never did I reinvested into my business or something like that and you like bikes trying to, and, and I like motorbikes exactly yeah so was, you got a bike now no fortunately what's the dream bike I had my dream bike I had a Panigale um, really Caddy yeah it was gorgeous what's that like 1000cc or something ridiculous I don't know much. It, was, it was a it was a 1199 yeah it was at the time it was one of the fastest production bikes in the world it was incredible and did you project status with it? Not really, no. I, I, it was for me. So so that's why I'm thinking back now. Yeah. It's never really a status thing. For me, nobody knew. Like, you know, a girl would look at it, oh, that's a nice red bike. I'm like, do you not understand, like, the, the engineering? Exactly. Like, I was like, I can go zero to 150 kilometers an hour in second gear in, like, four seconds. And she's like, what does that mean? <laughs> so, so yeah. So, for, for me, I don't think it's ever been a status thing. Um but for some people it is I, I would argue that is still like a you know maybe maybe the uh, pursuit of status is probably um, probably quite hollow anyway um, and you end up in a situation where you're lacking the substance to then substantiate why you're in that level of status so if you're looking to just uh, get symbols that represent status without actually building yourself up to naturally have that status without the symbol, mm -hmm. you probably are one of the, like, the shooting stars, you know, you, can, you collapse hmm. sort of thing. So so maybe that's my nuanced position on status. Hmm. So so in your book, your, your position is that Bitcoin will win the economic war 
I just take that as a given. Yeah, take that as a given on what's next. So, but that, but that also, like, even saying that sounds very binary. All right, it's happened. We won. All right, what are we gonna do? What the fuck are we gonna do about this? Clearly, the win, the economic win, is a is a transitory period. Totally, and and therefore, uh, what happens? At, what what do we do now? Is also a transitory period, which, by the way, we are seeing. I, I, you know, you you uh, asked me whether, yeah, how much. What Danny did help prep the show. We were discussing it on the way down, and we were recognizing the changes that that have happened to us both in our lives, but also in the way we think about things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm, and the example mm-hmm. I gave is that is the time preference. Mm-hmm. And the time preference thing for me, I said, do you know what the funny thing about time preference is? I see it on diet. I see it, and I can't change. Like I am still thirty pounds overweight, and I see it. And when I eat, I know I'm making the wrong decision on the time preference. But before, I would never saw it as soon as time preference. I would say, I have a shit diet. And now, at least I make the link. I go, I have a time preference issue with my diet. Mm-hmm. I am wanting the satisfaction now no. of smashing a pack of Oreos or whatever it is, or a burger, and accepting that little, that slight increase in weight that happens every day over the space of five years, and suddenly I'm 30 pounds mm-hmm. overweight. Well, I mean... Yes, it is a time preference issue. So, but you know, in this book, the eleventh virtue that I write about is um, is self restraint uh, or self control. Okay, and that is, I I think that's most likely the the most lacking virtue in the world today, um, because people and even libertarians that are blamed with this is that you know this sort of idea of just like go for it just do it you know you're free you know live in a free country say what you want do what you want etc um has its drawbacks which is you know sometimes the 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 real free person i think there was a there was a saying i don't know if this was nietzsche or something like that but the person with real strength is the one who can get a hammer and swing it at an egg but stop it just before you crush the egg right so real strength is not in crushing the egg real strength is in the ability to be able to do that but you know Hold the um, hold the hammer and sort of. Th- this I want to smash that fucking egg. There you go. See, <laughs> I want to see that shit go everywhere. <laughs> I do. So, so, but like, that's something we each have to train in us yeah, is the ability to like to to actually self uh, restrain. So, um, but but c- coming back to um, coming back to time preference. So, it's, and you know, we can kind of make our way back to these these virtues later. But the, I think that yeah, Bitcoin's very existence. Uh, adapt our behavior in such a way that we do start to have a better appreciation for time preference, definitely in the economic dimension. And then also it seems to be affecting other dimensions. Now, I don't know how that's going to evolve over time. You know, does does that uh, piece actually turn us into virtuous human beings or something like that? Maybe, maybe not. You know, that that's sort of, as you said, this is a this is going to be a process and, you know, I kind of think of it, there's a word called interregnum, which is like the, basically means the transition from sort of one king to another sort of thing. So an interregnum is the, is the gap between. So we're in the interregnum. We're going to go from the US dollar being king to Bitcoin being king. Whether that takes, I think it's at least going to take three generations, so like 60 years. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of doing some thinking around this. And we're what, 13 in? Yeah, exactly. Another. So we're sort of in the infection stage. We're not going to see it. I mean, you might with your good diet. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. I'd be 104. Wait, hold on. No, 60 years from now or 60 years from the advent. 60 of years time? from 2008, so 2016. Okay, so, so you, I'll you be might 87. Just make it. Yeah, there you go. You'll be like with it. 
Here's my Bitcoin, son. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy it. Done. <laughs> and be virtuous. <laughs> you little, if you do it in an English accent, little, it'll actually work. You little prick. Be virtuous. Got my son a job today. I think it's good. Yeah, so... Man's got to work. Keep, he won't work. Keep arguing with him. And I think I've made life too easy for him. And uh, so it keeps saying, get a job. And he won't get a job. And so I've got him a job now. He's working on, essentially, with builders tomorrow from 8 good, in the morning. Good. I was literally about to say he should have a shovel in his fucking hand. He's going to have a sh- physical work. He's waking up tomorrow morning. Okay. Uh, and he is working from 8 till 4 mm-hmm. for the next two days. And then next week good. with a fucking shovel. Good. And he doesn't know the big surprise. What's the big surprise? The big surprise. He's not even getting paid. Perfect. Dude, that is the best, the best thing. Do you know, do you know why he's not getting paid? He came back and he's like, Dad, can you insure me on my car? And I was like, okay. And I did it. You yeah. insured him? On his car. Because he's been away at university, so he doesn't need the insurance. <laughs> and he was like, you insure me on my car? I was like, yeah. I was like, you got a job? He's like, no. I said, have you phoned up Sarah at the pub to see if you can work? He was like, no, I've got loads of artwork to do. I was like, dude, I know what you're going to do. You're going to stay up every night and then you're going to sleep before. You're going to do shit. Get, <laughs> like, call her up and do some work. <laughs> he's like, no, I've got college work to do. I guarantee you right now, whatever time, he's going to be in bed right now. So he's going to work. I said, you know, I'm going to say it's paid. It's like seven twenty an hour, and then at the end of the week I'm going to go right. That money's paid off your car insurance. It's paid off this. Good. Yeah, there you go. You little fuck. Yeah, there you go. So, so look, look, look at Pete. He's going to go back to you, dude. Like, well done. I hate my dad. <laughs> no, this, this is this is this is how young men need to need to grow. They need to actually put some sweat into mm-hmm. stuff because if they don't, then they'll become entitled brats when they're old, and they won't become adults until they're thirty-five, and it's too late. And He's actually a lovely boy. If you met him, you'd be like, oh, you're like Pete, but nice. But he's um, just fucking lazy. You can't be lazy. The thing is, if if, if a man is going to raise kids, provide for his wife, provide for the family and all that sort of shit, you can't, like, put that responsibility on your wife. Mm. Like, what the fuck? She'll resent you, disrespect you, etc. So, like, you, you need to... All right, Tate. Uh, okay, le- yeah, fine. Let's just not go down. Sign up to my anime board. <laughs> Sign up to my Bushido course. What, what color is your Bugatti? Okay, let, let me let me just finish the first thought on this thing, so that way we, we've at least got this. So Sorry, I've really, like, just, like, shoot the shit today. It's because we haven't got Danny here. Danny be like, fucking rain it in, Pete. It's all right, so I'm raining it in. I'm, you rain it in. I'm putting on the Danny hat. So all right. we, we're taking Bitcoin as a given that it's going to win. Um, we have this interregnum where it's, things are going to evolve, behavior is going to evolve, and the question is, do we become a bunch of, you know, entitled rich little brats or whatever? And and whether that's us or our kids, it doesn't matter. Do we become the next political elite class, right? Who are trying to write the rules in our favor? Or do we try and develop virtues um, that, uh, at least from looking back on history and looking back on different cultures, uh, represent some sort of um, moral, you know, predispositional moral picture or moral thread right and the the question i ask myself is i look back at warrior cultures in particular when i was researching this book so the spartans the ancient macedonians the samurai uh the sort of arthurian like you know western english class the romans all that sort of stuff and what, what i've come to realize is that the 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 highest virtues generally come from warrior cultures not from peaceful cultures Peaceful cultures usually sort of emerge in the the weak men uh, build you know bad times yeah. out of the cycle post post war crazy exactly. men post exactly so so, so sorry would you would you therefore include World War Two soldiers as warrior culture? 
World War Two soldiers is an interesting one, is because I, I would definitely World War One soldiers, um, and then World War Two soldiers were probably still of that class, but they were because there was such a um, proximity between the two wars. The the kids of the parents were trying to more prove something. So like okay. if you, because because I did a huge deep dive on World War Two as well, and what you find is that. You know, even even the veterans of World War II, they say, you know, our parents went to fight the Great War and we were itching to prove ourselves. So it came from a different place, whereas there was a, there was a noble call, for example, for World War I, and that was the call for it. World War II was like, a, our parents went and did it, so now it's my turn. Um, so, so there's a slight difference. Um, and, and I actually think that, you know, all the best men basically got wiped out of World War I and World War II, and then that's kind of what eroded the West um, in a big way. But that's a whole other topic. Yeah, there's a lot I'd want to pick out there. I'm not sure I'd agree with it. All the best men got wiped out. I mean, not all the best men, but a big chunk of them. Like the ones who are, you know, probably predisposed to being brave and courageous and going out and fighting on the front lines. Fucking how many millions got wiped out? Brave or had no choice? No, the, a lot. Like World War One, they were actually, you know, willing to fight for their country because that's sort of, you know, you know, while there was, um, you know, a different type of conscription that you know came about. There was still a um, the kind of men that went to fight. They actually had uh, a love for country that they wanted to fight. Um, it wasn't just you know they were sort of poked at to say, "Hey, go and fight." Like it, it, it was a it was a different sort okay. of mentality. Okay. Anyway, I uh, railroaded you there. Okay, you did. Um, there was a. There was a strong theme, and the more I read about these uh, ancient cultures, the more I found that, holy shit, there is something um, very powerful here that I think we've lost in the in the world of peace, basically. So when you talk about will this will we end up like rich, the rich, little rich brats? When you say we, are you talking about the new elite class in the Bitcoin world, those who got in early enough, who have managed to amass substantial wealth? And we're not talking about Michael Saylor, yeah, we're not talking about the people who've got that. Like, it could be somebody who has maybe 100 Bitcoin, but in this world, it's the equivalent of having, like, 50 to 100 million now, this this, this yeah, shift I in think power. Possibly even less, man. I think anything 5 Bitcoin and over in the next, like, couple decades, like, you, you'd take that out 3, 4 years, 5 years, uh, sorry, uh, 3, 4 decades, something mm-hmm. like that, where, uh, where someone who's 20 today is, you know, sort of 50. Um, at that point, like... Even if they've only got five Bitcoin, I think five Bitcoin is going to be a significant amount. Now, you know, 50 Bitcoin will be extraordinarily significant. But do you not see it like this will get chipped away at? So in, you know, know, 10 years, 50 Bitcoin could be significant and that gets passed down. And that's the lead at that point. And during this transitory phase, different people, and it all depend on like how much gets passed down, Mm -hmm. how much gets spent, you know. You give my son 100 Bitcoin right now and I die, I'm not saying I got 100 Bitcoin, but like you give him 100 Bitcoin, he's going straight on. He's buying new trainers. Mm-hmm. Cars, mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to send it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's going to so, filter out. Yeah. Yeah. So like it is a transitory phase, but we're talking generally about whoever becomes uh, wealthy elite via Bitcoin mm-hmm. during these periods. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And they, they all of a sudden find themselves, you know, from, you know, one socioeconomic class, you know, catapulted into another. And and that that that's a big shift. And and sort of there's I was reading somewhere it's like someone said, you know, the, the lion, for example, behaves majestically because he's been at the top of the food chain for 
millions of years and it's had time to evolve to, you know, basically the lion doesn't go out and just fucking kill everything so that he can't eat anymore, right? Like, so, so there is like this natural evolution of, you know, territory and how the lion behaves and everything. Human beings went from like the middle of the food chain to the top in like 70,000 years and we haven't learned to sort of evolve this this majesty around how we deal with stuff. Now, you know, whether that's true or not, um, you know, I'll just, I'll just some anthropologists talk about that, but I thought that was like an interesting thing. It's like, and it's it's the same on a micro level as if, you know, you're some dude who's, I mean, and we see it, like how, like some of these early Bitcoiners who like stumbled in and tripped over and fell into Bitcoin at 10 cents, um, then all of a sudden have a billion dollars. Um, you know, what are they doing? That Like, you know, Brock Pierce is, you know, an example. Like the guy's, you know, he's yeah. a vacuum cleaner basically. And, um, and what good has he done? <laughs> yeah. Not a fan of Brock. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> okay. But so what, imagine, imagine a bunch of those running around. Yeah. But, but this is, well, maybe not Brock, but the, you know, the term power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. For some reason, good people turn bad in power. Or with power because they haven't developed i think the virtues i just disagree i think some i think it's a couple of things i think some people do and i think power changes you and money is power you know, wealth can be power and that's why i talked about um you know that kind of like expression of status that projecting status that comes with money because maybe you get money and you still aren't getting some form of respect mm-hmm. that you want so you have to ex- you have to some people feel the need to project that so people are like oh he's got money or oh, he's he's something and I'm I'm wondering whether there's in the end the incentive structure of money or the what money does to people whether it's bitcoin pounds dollars yen whatever the fuck it is I, I wonder if I wonder if humans just act the same and I wonder if like we are kidding ourselves with this time preference mm-hmm. thing because the time preference really is a lesson for accumulating Bitcoin and accumulating wealth. That if you don't rush, you know, if you're patient, if you just stack your assets and you keep building, you know, every four years you get that bump and then may, at some point you get rich. But like, once you get to that point, do you, you might not give a fuck anymore. And this Bitcoin world might be, it might be exactly the same on a human level and just different with different incentives based around the governance level where and central banking level. And, that, and that's a danger. And and that's actually a question that I broach in this is like, the, so the, there's actually an entire chapter in the book that asks the question, does wealth corrupt? Um, and I and I dig into that because you look at uh, Rome, I mean, you look at the West today. Depends what, I, I think power corrupts and, and wealth can lead to power. Mm-hmm. Uh, wealth can corrupt the mind, maybe. Well, no, no, so, so think about it this way. So if, if you have uh, excess material wealth, um, you know, and you don't need to work or pursue a mission or something like that. You generally get this sort of case of the the mind degrades because it's got nothing to push against. Um, you know, often you know, rich people are flying around on first class and eating all the food, and then eating at the um, you know, the the airport. Uh, what do you call it? The the lounge, and then getting you know. I mean, I just went to a um to a conference right now which was like one of those fully inclusive conferences and even me like someone who considers themselves pretty strict with you know the way I eat and all that sort of stuff I ate like a fucking slob um, and, and everyone like you know 
there was just overeating and like so, sort of like restraint goes out the window. So it's like when you have a lot of material comfort and the, the evidence is there. It's like you look at Rome. This is what happened with the Roman senators. They became extremely materially affluent. And it said that uh, when Rome governed by iron, it was strong. But then when it started governing by gold, it became weak. And that's sort of the material wealth piece is that you end up with such a cushion that you become soft and it sort of it eats you alive and then someone who is more spartan in nature so you look at um attila the hun for example who brought uh the romans to their knees attila and the scythians or the the huns at the time you know as i think the romans called them the huns were you know they couldn't be bought off with gold you know it wasn't money that they were seeking like attila specifically wanted to bring down rome and you know there was a whole story behind you know why he wanted to do that but they were far stronger far sharper and you know they did what was considered the impossible um it was the same with the macedonians in the in the early days like they were a bunch of mountain basically tribal leaders that came together under philip uh, and then after philip's death alexander took over and then they they basically blitzkrieged you know the entire persian persian empire when the persian empire at that time was affluent so they went from uh, cyrus the great who was the the guy who unified the persians and actually defeated the assyrians and then you know, I think it was like 200 years later or whatever, 300 years later, so a number of generations, you ended up with Darius, who was the guy running away from, you know, Alexander, who had a 40,000-person army against what was said to be a million, right? So the a, a lot of that was sort of um, the, the kind of people. So, you know, the Macedonians came in as missionaries who were there to take the... Um, uh, to take the empire, whereas a lot of the people fighting on the Persian side were mercenaries. They were just sort of paid, um, so so they didn't have to be there. So so I think there's there's something about this uh, material wealth thing which ties back into what you were saying before about do we just end up a bunch of rich turds who only care about status and don't care about anything else, and then Stat- maybe not just status though, Alex. Maybe comfort, comfort, status. consumption, like yeah. money. I've I've been broke and I've had money, never been rich, but like I've had the the freedoms that come with money that if I want to get on a plane, I can, or I can go and do my shopping, or I can go out to a nice restaurant, you know, maybe just life gets easier for these people. And and that's, that's why I'm saying, you know, we talk about most, most Bitcoiners, they talk about come for the gains, stay for the revolution. I like come for the revolution, stay for the gains. Either work, but there is always that kind of idea that your material wealth is going to massively increase and everyone enjoys the price going up Mm -hmm. if they hold bitcoin right Mm -hmm. why well because it does make things easier and and this is so so this is why i draw from the whole warrior culture thing is like in a warrior culture ease is not valued adversity is valued and you know you look at i'll use the samurais as an example in in samurai culture in in the in the feudal culture in japan you sort of had the emperor then you had the shogun when when he existed then you had the the daimyos who were like kind of like the um the noble lords that uh served the shogun then you had the samurai they were the warrior class then you had the uh the artisans you had the peasants you had the merchants underneath the peasants and then you had the eta who were like the um the ones who were considered the dirty people, so they would deal with the dead and everything like that. But 
the merchants were sort of despised by this by the um, samurai and the upper classes because the merchants would be those who would be, you know, they would sell, you know, they they would sell their word or they would sell their mother for you know wares like they they would they were traders whereas samurai believed in um in the currency of you know reputation or the currency of honor more than more than reputation I think reputation is sort of like a subset of honor right and you couldn't buy a samurai off that was the whole point it's like they did they they actually had a disdain for this uh this idea of like uh material wealth so warrior classes try and uh value these other things that material wealth cannot buy but at a time where material wealth can buy some people and not others mm-hmm. how did they come to be that they as a group of people yeah held these virtues well and why and why why did they die off as a why did the warrior class die as a class yeah so so the, the, there's there's a whole thing here so first of all i mean the feudalism lasted the longest in japan than anywhere else right so sort of feudalism fell apart in the west uh you know right around the french revolution probably a little bit earlier in england and things like that um in japan it didn't finish up until the the late 1800s and you know the sort of the 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 class structure and the hierarchy in japan um there's still echoes of sort of the the feudal uh nature in japan and that's why i think you know you get a lot more of this uh cultural sort of you know respect and politeness and that sort of stuff because a lot of um you know this sort of co- this bushido code in japan uh it impacted the cultural uh norms uh, in japan now why did it last so long so i mean i guess it worked in japan you know it it really really worked there was a there was you know this particular warrior class that essentially not really policed but they were the um like to be a samurai meant to behave and act in a way that embodied these virtues it didn't mean that you just had a fucking sword and you could chop someone down like there was there was things that you needed to work on and things that you needed to embody and those you know virtues include like courage honor uh compassion um uh respect loyalty and you know, like you, you look at how some of these things uh, manifested. Like, if you dishonored yourself as a samurai, for example, they had, yeah, they had the. I mean, really, really think about like what that actually means. Is you know, you did the wrong thing, and to to claim back your honor, like you would give your life and do it in such a way that it was fucking painful. Painful. Yeah. And you would you would disgrace yourself if you showed pain in your face. Really? Yeah, that, that was the whole point. Bit. Yeah, exactly. So, so like, you had to fall on your sword without any expression of pain. Correct. Correct. Without screaming, without you know any of that sort of stuff. And were you considered to have uh, saved face in such a scenario? Like, okay, he's correct, and then that's how you brought your honor back, right. and you you know your your family would be you know spared from being wiped out or whatever the case mm. was, right? Um, and like that that kind like I mean it brings some sort of chills down my spine at the moment just thinking about it and talking about it is that like that is lost you know today and and it was it was particularly lost as we transitioned from a world that went from you know the 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 feudal structure into what we sort of have today is sort of this um you know capitalist money first material first sort of uh world that we live in um and we've 
we've thrown away a lot of that. Now, mind you, some of these uh, virtues and values have found their way into the business world. You know, so people who are generally thought of in high regard in the business world, people who, you know, hold their, keep their word, for example, who do the right thing, who don't backstab, um, you know, either their partners or do the wrong thing by their competitors and stuff like that, or who don't rip off their customers or who don't pour, you know, cheap chemicals and say that it's something else. Like, you know, th- there is a there is a reputational value. There is a there is a level of honor in some business operations, right? And those people we come to respect naturally, right? Mm-hmm. We we come to you know buy their products more, etc. But you know, th- there is there is this sort of mix with you know people who will forget about that and they'll you know try and make money at all costs and you know screw the virtue, screw the morality, and and whatever. And, and we see the results of that. You know, one kind of pathway yep. actually makes the world worse. The other pathway, you know, makes the world better. So, tr- trying to, um, we've gone off on ten tangents. Well, no. So, I want to go back to that samurai thing. The role of, what was the role of samurai? The samurai in the society. It was an army. It, yeah, that they were. They were the knights, basically. So, yes. So, would you not say that the consistent thing here is that it's to do with armies, whether it's, yeah, whether it's the Marine Corps right now, the samurais, mm-hmm. whichever mm-hmm. one it is, and. There's like an understanding that for an army to be effective, it has to have some form of discipline. Mm-hmm. And that discipline is based around specific rules, specific virtues, some form of brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, you, know, you can talk about the saving the honor of, of a samurai falling on a sword, but you can also talk about the Marine Corps. We will not leave one man behind. And death before dishonor, yeah, take like, a bullet. Yep, yeah, yep. so yep, yep. is this not really... Uh, a soldier class that has existed through any form of army that there needs to be a discipline with an army for an army to be able to fight is that not what we're just talking about there but outside of that you have a functioning society which which is it has its own culture outside of the army like I'm not going to operate like a uh, a marine corps soldier I should maybe because I would get in shape yeah, and I'd have you know better discipline. I'd eat better food. And I'd sleep better, but but these are armies. But see, that's my point there. So my whole thesis is that if we, in civilian culture, adopted some of these virtues, I believe civilian culture would get stronger, and not degrade and turn into the weak men, bring bad times. And I think that's the thing, is that we think it should just be reserved for the warrior class. And now that we're in a time of peace and we don't need war anymore and war is bad and all that sort of stuff, we can do away with the whole warrior culture, the warrior ideology. And what do we become? We become fat slobs who don't believe in reputation or morality or honor or any of that sort of stuff. And then the world decays and turns into shit, basically. We're talking about good parenting as well. Exactly. I yeah. mean, good parenting. Like, you, you look at the way... Um, you know, a parent should be trying to inculcate better virtues in the children from a young age and not, like, do whatever the hell parents are doing today, um, which is a whole political thing that I probably don't want to get into here. But the, these are... I mean, you, you, you basically answered it, is the, the, the highest virtues are found in those environments, the warrior environments, because you, you are actually at the edge This show is brought to you by Iris Energy. Now, as you've probably noticed, we have been increasingly covering Bitcoin mining on the show. And as the team at Iris Energy share mine and Danny's values, they're such a great fit for what Bitcoin did and for you, our listeners. 
Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner who has used 100% renewable energies since inception. Iris Energy targets markets with low-cost excess renewable energy, and they build and operate their own proprietary data centers. And the team is led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across infrastructure, renewables, and digital assets. In fact, Iris Energy's NASDAQ IPO was the only Bitcoin mining IPO to be led by top-tier investment banks, including JP Morgan and Citi. Now, Iris Energy know that Bitcoin mining can be done sustainably, supporting the Bitcoin ecosystem as well as the energy transition. Iris Energy is the leading 100% renewable energy miner. And if you want to find out more about them, then please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co, or look up their ticker I-R-E-N on NASDAQ. Next up, we have Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. With everything that happened last year in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach, as they don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up, we have Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world leader in Bitcoin security and is the best way for you to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time for you to take your security a bit more seriously, because remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transactions with full transparency in the Ledger Live app, and honestly, it couldn't be easier. I've been a Ledger customer since early 2017. I'm still using the same Nano S I bought then, and I've got a few more of their products. I absolutely love everything they do. Ledger also have a very new product coming. It's called Stacks. It's going to be dropping in the summer. I've already pre-ordered mine. Now, the pre-order is sold out, but there is a wait list, so go and get on that while you can. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot ledger.com that is shop.ledger.com also today we have bitcasino established in 2013 bitcasino was the first licensed bitcoin casino trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide not only do they have cutting edge security but they also have fast withdrawals and vip experiences that money can't buy with over 2800 games and tournaments to compete against each other Big Casino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners. And with 24-7 live chat support, you can get all the help you require. To find out more about Big Casino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Well, it might cost you your life or it might cost you uh, a comrade's life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, um, it might cost you a war. It the, might cost you your homeland. Stakes are as... High as yeah. they get. And then when you talk about it does exist within business, it's a similar scenario. I know as a, an employer, I have to treat my staff well. I have to put their 
interest first and they will work hard for the business. Mm -hmm. I know if I shake a hand on a deal, I should keep my honor. Correct. Yes. Otherwise, I'm, that person won't do business with me again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it, it seems like outside of armies, business, uh, like general uh, civ uh, civilization, it no one gives a fuck. Because it doesn't it's really sad. matter. Yeah. Well, and and that and that's the sad part, and and that's what I'm trying to sort of put forth. But the, but, no, but there are also other screwy incentives. For example. Well, like the incentives of media to lie and mm -hmm. spit out propaganda to sell advertising. Mm -hmm. That exists, which corrupts us all. Totally. Yeah, there's a lot of corrupting influences on our mind. There is. Yeah, there is, and this is part of like, if you if 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 your north star is to not like if if your north star is just to make money for example or to increase your material wealth like if that's your only north star um you know if it's just number go up for example um i think that you end up with a world where you know you skew it towards where we are now with like media and all this sort of stuff right um it's just sell the next thing and you know squeeze the maximum amount of juice you can out of everything like that and it, it's it's always it's hard for me to say this because you know i've I'm such a proponent of like, you know, capitalism, Austrian economics and all this sort of stuff. Like I do think um, economics is at the, um, I mean, praxeology is at the center of all human behavior, right? We, we need to, that that needs to be recognized. But see, that's on the material realm. Um, what I'm, what I'm sort of uh, grappling with this in this book is like, is there something that is like not on the material realm? So like, a, you know, Stephen Pressfield who wrote- um, yeah. The War of Art? The War of Art and yeah. a whole bunch of other... My favorite book from him by far is The Virtues of War, which is... It's a fictional book where he writes about basically Alexander the Great's exploits uh, through through Persia and everything. It's fucking fantastic. Like, when you read that, like... Well, I wouldn't even recommend reading it. I'd just recommend just get the Audible and just listen to that. It is the... You won't be able to put it down. You'll, you'll listen okay. to the whole six... What is it? Hours. The Virtues of War. The Virtues of War. Yeah. And and you get you get a flavor. Like, it's, it's obviously... Uh, it's it's historic fiction, but it's um, you know, it's real. But obviously, the the words and what's being said throughout is um is different. But there's real anecdotes. Like there was a, there's you know a famous story about Alexander the Great uh, coming back from India with his army, crossing the desert, and he had had his lung punctured from a from an arrow because he was the first one to climb over the fucking wall, um, you know, and this is the king, right, like. You know, imagine Joe Biden going and doing this today. It's just not going to happen, right? So he's the he's the first one climbing over the wall um, and encouraging his men through his honor, through his courage, and that fires them up to sort of climb and do the same. And his lung gets punctured, and he almost dies. Um, anyway, he survives that, and then on the way back, like still sick and barely breathing with a punctured lung, through the fucking desert, everyone's dying of starvation. Um, there's no water, you know, they're running out of food and everything. Uh, a couple of soldiers find some water somewhere and they kind of like put it in a helmet and they carry it back like half a mile or a mile or whatever, like through the, through the cavalcade to him so that he can drink. And they're like guarding it with their swords and everything. And they pass it over to him and he takes it. He looks at them, looks at the army, he lifts it and he spills the water out into the desert. And, you know, the whole sort of army erupts in like, you know, th this idea of if that's the king that's leading us, there's no way we're ever going to lose because he's willing to uh, face adversity and go through everything that they're going through. 
So, and, and that's sort of like real leadership, but that kind of leadership you, you develop through adversity, through facing that sort of stuff and through trying to develop and inculcate these sorts of values. And, but that's what you do as a parent as well. Correct. You face Absolutely. adversity. Absolutely. So life isn't as hard for your children, but you take something away from them by not giving them that adversity. Yes. So, so it, mate, it's a real paradox. It, it is hard, right? So, so how do we, so the, the, I mean, this goes into a conversation of rites of passage, which there's a whole section in the book about rites of passage, but we have forgotten about these rites of passage that kids used to go through particularly boys like when you know when they had to go from sort of the age of 13 14 and sort of become men they became men far younger than we become men today like we become men at fucking 30 today you know still living with our parents and still going to fucking university and all this sort of stuff we behave like kids for an extended period of time we have this you know in, in the ancient times or in these warrior cultures and everything there was kid and then there was man there was no adolescent phase or the adolescent phase might have been a year or something like that you know that that was the rite of passage We've got adolescents now that are fucking from the age of 16 to the age of 30. Like, you know, that... that 44. There you go. So, so I, I don't think that's healthy for civilization. No, I agree. I agree. It's, it's really not. So, you know, the, the what parents need to sort of think about is what sort of rites of passage can give their children adversity such that it forces them to grow like the i mean the, the the probably the most famous rite of passage you know that people might know of is the agogi which was the spartans right they took the kids at i think it was seven years old and then they had to fight and live and fend for themselves until they became men basically and i mean i'm not saying go take your kid and throw him out in the fucking forest now and say all right come back find your way home yeah find your way home like that's probably not functional but Something of that order, right? Like, or something of that flavor where the kid actually, um, and maybe not at the age of seven, maybe, you know, at the age of 13 or something like that, where they, they, they're starting to come of age or come to a point in time where they need to actually start to grow up. Pick up a fucking shovel. Pick up a shovel. That's start it. digging, boy. Yeah, yeah. Build something with your hands. Do something. Yeah. Go and fight. Like, particularly for boys, like, they should go and fight when they're younger. Like, they should go do some jujitsu, get punched in the face, you know, and like it's that classic Mike Tyson one, right? Everyone's yeah. got plans until they get punched in the face, right? So like that sort of stuff needs to needs to be done. And, you know, the, you know, the, the, the young men need to learn discipline. I, I mean, I used to be totally against things like military service and everything like that. But you look at Switzerland, like, you know, there, there's, there's, some, there's something about the flavor of the way Switzerland is run, which seems to make sense. Um, and hey, there's military service there um, still. And, you know, maybe, maybe that is what you need to do as a young man to sort of learn the, these sort of virtues. And then you go and apply these virtues in other areas of your life. Military service as part of your education growing up. You Correct. Do your math, history, geography at school, your military service. Correct. Uh, service teaches you discipline. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think it comes down to, a lot of this comes down to discipline. Well, yeah. And so mental strength. Yeah, D discipline is the the act of practicing these virtues and inculcating. Because th th there's also you, you don't want to become someone who, for example, and, and this is why there's eleven virtues in here and not you know three. Like you don't want to become someone who's too overdeveloped in like uh, justice, for example. And and you know the samurai talk about this is you know justice is kind of like the um, the the framework 
if you think of a body like uh, you've got the skeleton, justice is sort of the skeleton, but benevolence or compassion or magnanimity is sort of like the the the, the flesh. You you can't have sort of one without the other. So if you're too justice oriented, you basically become you know like the quote unquote the Nazi, right? So it's like you know black everything's black and white, right? So so you need to temper it with compassion, um, but then you know you need courage as well. So so you need this sort of whole well roundedness and you know the generally in in the Japanese the Japanese sort of uh, culture there was generally eight virtues and they were never written down. It was a moral code that was passed by word and uh, represented through action through how your elders behaved. But um, I I've got eleven because I kind of added a few in there. I think responsibility moving forward I think is extraordinarily important. Like I've become more of a you know, I know a lot of Bitcoiners are liberty or freedom maximalists. I've, I'm trying to teach myself to become a responsibility maximalist because I think that's more, if not just as important, as important as freedom. Like, if you want to actually take people's freedom away, take away their responsibilities first, um, which is what's really happened over the last 50 years, especially over the last couple of years. You take away their responsibility for themselves. And as you do that, they have no more freedom because they become dependents. Yeah. Um, so responsibility I threw in there, I threw in excellence as well, because I think that is so important in the world moving forward is that, um, we have such an anti-excellence bent. And this is one of the things that pisses me off about democracy. It's a, it's a, it poo-poo's excellence and it, uh, reveres the average or the participation award. It's like the participation award, I think killed the I West. disagree. I, I disagree with participation awards. I think they're bullshit, but I disagree that democracy um, does away with excellence. It does. It really does. It hurts excellence because the 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 perception is one of, uh, you know, the collective or the public is um and, and you know is revered. We we've you know democracy is the doing away with uh, nobility and aristocrats and all that sort of stuff. Now, in doing so though, what actually democracies create is these um. They, they create power vacuums in those positions and then the parasites actually just go in there, right? And then they convince everybody that it's okay to be a plebeian, um, it's okay to be average, it's okay to be just another number, um, so that way they kind of mask. I think the media does a lot of that as well. Of course the media does that because, you know, media is like a, a, a very useful tool in a democracy. I think brands do it as well. I think brands are seeing the virtue of uh, promoting average totally i mean but that's but see brands are downstream no, but all, culture though but all of this comes back to incentives uh, okay look better better things okay this, this is fine how do we get there how so get what, there? what what you know what do you see that needs to change because it's almost like a collective change needs to happen but that means a coordination and how do you no 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 did this so yeah so so i'm still definitely austrian and libertarian in yeah, coordination cool. um so my my position is that if if you be be the change you want to see in the world sort of thing, um, and what that means is, if you are a Bitcoiner and if you are one of these people that will likely see a disproportionate increase in your social and economic status, then you you don't have to worry too much about money. What you actually have to worry about is becoming a virtuous person. So you should build that in yourself. And why? Try and why? Why should you? Because uh, no, I'm I'm testing you because yeah. you're saying you should, but why should you? If I, if as a free man, uh -huh. 
don't want to. Mm-hmm. I just want to be a fat slob who drives around in a Lambo and yeah. Why shouldn't I? If if you agree, okay, so let's yeah, fair. If you agree that uh, things like time preference and lowering time preference um, are a good thing, if you agree that there are problems in the world today that we live in an age of weak men create bad times. Um, if you agree that we need to hold ourselves to better standards, be more responsible, seek you know greater excellence, and if you agree that these kind of virtues are important to embody, then you should. If you don't, if you are of the opinion that um, you should be a fat slob and you should just spend no, it's not that. all that sort of stuff, then not, you should. So I agree I should. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want to, uh-huh. but I can't be bothered. I'm not saying I am that. I'm just saying, yeah. H- how will pe- like? How does this happen? I'm I'm trying to like get clear on your question though. It's like so so because if you agree that it's good, then you know you should do it. But what I'm saying is, money mm-hmm. makes life comfortable. Yeah, makes life easier. There's a lot of distractions I can imagine coming with money. Like if if I was worth twenty million pounds alex i could i could tell you where i start spending that money i'd have these great holidays Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and then these become distractions from being that person Mm -hmm. and what i'm trying to say to you i think the point i'm trying to get to is maybe nothing changes it's just a different money and a different you know there's a transition of wealth from one group to another and the next group is just the same possibly so the okay, so the, there's t- there's two parts to that thing that I think you're asking me here is like, um, why should I? I could just go on holidays. I could just eat whenever I want. You know, I can just be fat, lazy, and I've got everything I want. You know, I can just get hookers and coke, right, and do whatever I want. Um, and and you could, um, but we sort of all know what that sort of path leads to, right? It leads to happiness. <laughs> Maybe fleeting happiness in the moment. Yeah, no, but, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, that's what I mean. So, so like you end up you you pay a longer term price for the shorter term thing, right? Mm. Um, and and this is this is again, it's the you know you mentioned maybe, about the Oreos. Like you eat the Oreos now, you feel good, and then later you feel like shit. Maybe as humans, that's how we are. Maybe our brain is taught that way. You know, maybe whatever it is. If you think about the evolution of it humans is, and animals, look, it is. It was about food. Food was the number one thing every day. Mm. Where do I get my food? And then we found ways of t- to collect food, right? And then we found a way to collect possessions. And then we, when you have money, you've made you've made all that easier. You've got all the food you could ever want. Yeah, yeah. solved your problem. Yeah, you know. And I want a world of people who are virtuous, who you know have lived by a, a very strong moral code, who are you know good parents. But some for some reason it's not happening. And that's what I'm trying to get to. Is like I want. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm agreeing with you. But at the same time, kind of like cynical about whether we will actually see any change. Whether we'll see any change. Yeah. So the the tendency is to fall into entropy. Entropy is fucking easy. It's just yeah, sit back and do nothing, right? So you know the the question is, is there a higher calling uh, for us? And I I believe there is. Like you know you you watch someone perform a great feat. You know, like, just even the sense of inspiration. Like, I mean, you fucking bought a football team. Yeah. Like, how does it make you feel when they have performed excellent? You know, or or they've, like, fucking put in sacrifice, 
training and everything and they actually win something. Love it, man. There's no greater feeling in the world. There you go. So, so, so that's what I'm talking about. So it's like we have that inside us and that's kind of the balancing force against entropy. So you, you sort of entropy is like this idea of you know, just don't do anything, but that's not inspiring. So we sort of have this spark inside us that incentivizes us in the opposite direction, but we actually have to exert effort or exert energy to sort of move in that direction. And this whole philosophy of a, of a, of a warrior sort of um, ethic is that you recognize that and I'm sorry, but you fucking force yourself to get up and actually practice the things that you have to practice. Like if you want to be the best football player, you're going to have to go out and fucking kick goals. You're going to have to go out and practice. You're going to have to go out and do sprints. You're going you're gonna to have to exert the effort even when you don't want to. If you want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger and fucking win Mr. Olympia eight times, you have to get in the gym and you have to lift weights. So, so you know, this is a call to do that. Now, to your point, you know, will people do that? You know, will that happen on a Bitcoin standard? I have some hope because... One of the issues we have in the in the current standard is that because material wealth, like the money, is just able to be printed by someone, um, you end up getting a skewing of the game. It's like if we're playing poker, right, and a good poker player, you know, is prudent, you know, doesn't go all in all the fucking time, you know, reads the game, like he, he actually tries to employ a bunch of skill in the process of playing the game. Um, but if one of the players on the table was just going in all the fucking time, going all in Finish. every single time. No, no, no. But whether he, he whether he went all in and fucking lost or won, the dealer just gave him a bunch more chips. Okay. Right. So, so the game's rigged like that. What You're talking about government? Correct. So, yeah. so, so what happens to the game is that if you're someone smart on the fucking table, instead of playing a smart. Uh, poker game or a prudent po poker game which you know might actually involve some of these virtues you know prudence patience etc um you'll actually make friends with this dude and say look i'll i don't know fucking do something for you um but you give me some of your chips each time you go in and we'll both you know do something here so like it actually it, it changes the incentives of the game for them to become friends with that now on a Bitcoin standard, so to sort of tie this all together is like why I think, you know, living on a Bitcoin standard may actually help here is that if you are a rich elite and you just go and like get fat, become a slob or whatever, the chances are that because we have a fixed amount of money um, and the money sort of filters through, younger, hungrier, more prudent people or individuals or groups of people might actually outcompete you and actually suck the amount of Bitcoin and bring it over. And that may create a scenario where you might actually have an incentive to adapt your behavior because you're losing money, you're burning it, and you can't just print it from someone and you just can't like uh, use political methodology to bail out your poor decision-making. So, so that's my hope. So, so that's why yeah. I think something might. But I still think it... We can't just rely purely on the economic incentives. And this is why I'm writing this whole thing, which is, hey, Bitcoiners, like we're talking about low time preference. We're talking about being better individuals, we're talking about revolution. There's actually more that we have to develop than just getting the economics piece fixed up is that we actually have to start to embody, practice, inculcate these virtues. And we need to develop a praxis, so a set of practices around trying to develop these 
And I've put forward 11. Someone might disagree. They might say, well, no, I don't think excellence is a good virtue or whatever the fuck they might. Build your own fucking set of virtues yeah. and develop those. But we have to do something. Um, and it it doesn't need to be enforced. You know, you mentioned before, like a coordination level or a government level or something. No, no, no. You need to be the change you need to see in the world. You need to develop this for you. And you should, let me say, you should be doing this for yourself. Um, and you should be going out and inculcating it into your children if you want them to continue lineage and actually have, I would argue, a higher possibility of economic and personal success in the future um, if they were to have these values and also have sound money. Hmm. Sort of my theory. Well, I agree with, look, I do agree with you. I'm always beating myself up about these things, Alex, all the time. Like, I should be better. I should do better. Make better decisions. Be a better person. Like, I do. When I hear you talk about uh, the warrior class, I think there is a a bit of a co- contradiction in that with who you are as well. In that, a warrior class is is a form of army, and an army is an expression of a state of some kind. Yeah, you know, it is a group of people collectively, mm-hmm. you know, working together. So whether they are within a geography or going into a new geography, it is a state, and as somebody who is libertarian. That doesn't that doesn't work for you. So like, yeah, it's a challenging one. Yeah, it's is a really challenging one because you're what you're saying is the thing you like is the thing you are against. I yeah, I think there's a big um, misconception. I'm I'm evolving my position, so you know I'm I. Oh, you become a status quo. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> no, because listen. So what, what the point I'm trying to get to is that I people are like Pete, you're a status quo. It's like no, I believe in democracy. I think I don't think we have democracy right now. I think we have uh, crony capitalism. I think we have a corrupt system where the incentives are completely fucking screwed, right? But on a sound money standard, the centralizing force that helps coordinate society and maybe educates people, it cannot print money. It can you you cannot have certainly to the levels we have now of the kind of corruption and crony capitalism, perverse incentives. They kind of hopefully go away. And so within that, then maybe there is a change to the education system or the way we educate. Like that is what is, what is my hope is that that's what we get from this, that we become a more, a better functioning society that, that within that we, you know, we as humans, we realize like that we have to pick up a shovel and we have to Mm -hmm. teach someone to pick up a shovel Mm -hmm. and we have to teach, yeah, a moral framework to live by. Like I'm not religious. But I love the moral frameworks that religions have. Totally. And so kind of I'm I know myself, I have to do this myself for my children. I have to teach them now. But I see so many other children, they're not going to be taught this right now because they they're not they're not open to this. Mm. And so I think I believe in what you're saying. I just I had to pull it uh, all the different threads on it. Yeah, I mean th- there there is a there is big outstanding questions like um okay all these virtues are important, blah, blah, so how? How do you do this? And I think this is this is sort of where it gets, um, we have to sort of think through, how do I put it? Like, how, how do you try and emulate without having to go out and essentially kill each other um, in battle? How do we emulate some of that stuff? And, I mean, there's there's a lot of cool shit happening in sort of like the, 
you know, the there's subcultures of the manosphere, right? There's a, there's a lot of like sort of Christian oriented um, uh, men sort of groups growing, and you know what? When men hang around with men um, and they have some sort of mission, that mission could be to develop more courage or to develop more um, more self control or to do all this sort of stuff. They actually uh, they ins- either inspire or they shame each other into becoming, you know, better, and they actually drive each other up. It's the whole iron sharpens iron thing, and I think that's a far better, more grassroots method of doing this. So it's like if um you know we we kind of used to do that obviously in battle, but we you know that sort of evolved to doing it uh, in um you know, in the in the cafe or the pub, like, you know, we would talk about ideas and we would sort of push each other. And, you know, those sorts of associations are really important. And, the, you know, associations of women doing their own thing, like, you know, the feminine nature and the masculine nature are very different. Like the masculine sort of uh, grows through competition. The feminine grows through praise. So they have their own thing to do. So I'm more speaking in a, in a masculine dimension here is that, um, you know, if you were to hang around, like if your friends group became were was a bunch of say people that were more like me, um, in a in a physical capacity, like that, you know, were really strict with you know how they eat, when they train, and all this sort of stuff, and you hung out with that kind of a group for a year, you wouldn't have this fucking problem anymore. You'd get you'd get fucking shamed. You'd get you know pushed. You'd get you'd get. Um, I get shamed. Daily, yeah, but being a Twitter, yeah, but I'm saying, look, it still it still hits you. It does, it does. But see, you need to actually be in an environment like you need your little tribe. If you want to fix this, you need to be in a small fucking tribe that is doing that is where you want to be. Hmm. That's don't, I don't agree. I think I think I need self discipline. Yeah, but that's how you build the self discipline. You need to be in an environment of self discipline with other men that you respect. Because see, when you get bashed on Twitter, for example, the way you'll rationalize it in your head is that ah, they're fucking losers. Fuck them. I'll just no. It's not that. It's not. It's just I my the makeup of my lifestyle is isn't one that allows me to do. It. I I work long hours. <clears throat> I've got too many businesses. And so so the thing is, you're just valuing something else. Yeah, you're not that, valuing. Yeah. And that's what it is. And that's why I'm trying to shift it. Step one: no alcohol. Did it. Step two was actually today. Step two, two today. I decided to drop all coffee and go to water. Okay, well done. Drop water all the way down. Yeah, I'm going to do that for a month. And I'm gradually, just one step at a time, I'm you going to shift it. You need partners to do it with. That's what's going to keep you on the path. If you try and do it yourself, completely lone soldier, you'll fall off the bandwagon at some point. We will see about that, son. We will see about that, mate. Let's see how, see how I can do it. Conscious we come into an end of our time. I forgot how long you and I can rattle on for. Uh, how do you want to finish this out? Give us some, close this out for us and then tell you tell the listeners what you want them to do. Okay, so... I think the, the the premise of this book. So someone asked me, they were, you know, they said, "Oh, what the fuck do we need another Bitcoin book for?" You know, we've heard this about isn't the a history Bitcoin of book. money, you know, many times. Exactly. So, so this isn't a Bitcoin book. You know, it's called the Bashir of Bitcoin, and it's a call to that specific, you know, class of people because that's sort of where my audience is. But this is me trying to say, hey, there's other things that we need to also work on, um, and if if this has sort of been of interest uh, and you think that it's um you know that there's something valuable to read here and particularly if you like history and shit like that like by the fucking book by the fucking book basically but depending on when this goes out like i'm gonna do a kickstarter on it okay. so if people are listening to this during the kickstarter please come and support so i'll do i'm actually we're gonna do a do an experiment so if there's bitcoin is listening to this um you can support on geyser 
Um, and so I'm going to do it on Geyser and Kickstarter simultaneously. And we're going to try and do an experiment to see which platform actually raises more money for the book. Well, we will put that all in the show notes. Uh, I will definitely check it out. Everyone else, go check it out if you like it. Um, yeah, we need a Danny here. This is rare not having Danny. See, you see how important Danny is these days? Danny rules the show, man. Uh, Alex, always good to see you, man. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, see you here in London. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, catch up soon. Absolutely. All right. What'd you make of that? Do you enjoy that? You know what? It's a bit weird. Sometimes I don't have Danny with me when I'm booking studios or Danny's booking studios in London and have to go and do it cold. I hate it. I always want him with me. So it's great to have him here in bed with me now. And listen, this topic of toxicity and the culture within Bitcoin has come up so many times and I've swum back and forth, whether I think it's a good thing or whether I think it's a bad thing. But I always think it's an interesting thing to discuss, especially with someone like Alex. He said he's got an updated perspective on it. Anyway, I'm not sure if any of us individually should be imparting a moral code on people's decisions, but thinking carefully about how would you would act differently in the future, especially if your Bitcoin stack becomes worth a lot. It's definitely something worth discussing. So it's great to see Alex, great to get him on the show. And as we said, his book's coming out mid-2023, The Bushido of Bitcoin. Keep an eye on that. And as I said in the intro, we've got our live show in two weeks. Two weeks a day in Bedford. We've got a bunch of Bitcoiners coming in. We've also got Jeff Booth, James Lavish, Lawrence Lepard, and Ben Ark for a live WBD. If you want to come and join us for that, please head over to whatbitcoindid.com and click on WBD Live. If you want to get in touch with us for anything else, please drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com.